As sensitives, we find ourselves in a world encouraging us to tune out when our greatest power is to tune in. This leads us to miss the magic and wisdom inherently within and all around us. This is Tune In with Marcy, a podcast devoted to exploring what it means to reconnect to our intuitive nature and belong to the animate earth. I'm your host, Marcy Moberg, an intuitive soul guide, shadow worker, and plant spirit teacher. On this podcast, you'll find deep conversations, practical tips, inspiring stories, and answers to your burning intuitive questions. Equal parts spiritual and human, my work is trauma-informed and always practical. I'm so glad that your intuition led you here. Welcome. By the way, this is a Patreon-supported podcast. You can join starting at $10 a month. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash Marcy Moberg. Hey there. Welcome to Tune In with Marcy. I'm your host, Intuitive Soul Guide, Marcy Moberg, and I'm so grateful that you're here with me today. This week, I have a very, very rich episode for you. So I encourage you to If it feels good, I I would encourage you to think about having a notebook and a pen and maybe listening to this podcast episode more than once. Um, There's a lot here. There's a lot that wanted to come through. And at a certain point, I was like, whoa, (laughs) I think this is enough. (laughs) Um, So this is kind of like we're starting the conversation and it's going to be, I sense that it's going to be continued in season five. But this week I'm exploring this idea of poison as medicine. And before I dive into that, I want to just kind of share a couple quick notes. And that is first that uh, the final episode of season four, which is this current season that we're on of Tune In with Marcy, it comes out in two weeks. And in that episode, I'm dedicating it to answering listener questions. I haven't done a listener Q&A in a while. So I'm pretty excited about that. I've already received some really great questions. Um, If you have a question that you want to answer, you want me to answer on that episode, please make sure to send it by Friday, July 22nd. And you can easily do that by heading on over to marcymoberg.com forward slash podcast and scrolling to the bottom of the page where you'll find a, a button to submit a question. Okay, that being said, if you still have a question, you're like, oh shoot, like it's outside of the July 22nd um, timeframe, submit it anyways, and I will consider it for uh, season five. So after that episode comes out, that next one, so with this one is um, episode 81, when episode 82 comes out in two weeks, I will be taking a brief break to recoup my energy Um, it's been quite a busy year so far and I really want to take some time to kind of just recoup, rest, enjoy the summer days, enjoy my garden, enjoy my critters, my loved ones, my husband, etc. Um, and then just spend a little time in listening. I, I'm already kind of getting a sense of where I believe season five of the podcast wants to go. But the way that I create all of these episodes always is through listening, um, listening to what my guides, my soul, like what, what kind of, um, what really wants to come through. That's really the place that I'm, I'm always coming from. And so I want to spend some time listening to that because it feels like 
there's a lot that wants to come through, but I need some spaciousness to be able to, to listen to that before I can share that with you. So the thing I want to say is um, <clears throat> my podcast this October will be three years old, which is kind of amazing <laughs> because this podcast started out as just an experimental creative project. I told myself like, you know, I had been having this calling to create the podcast for many years. I finally said yes. I agreed with myself and like my guides in the universe, like, okay, I'll do this for six months and then I will check in. Um, and it felt like a calling to reach more people. It felt a little bit less constraining, uh, than the blogs I was writing consistently. I have heard from people over the years that they get their greatest transformation when they're in, um, my presence that there's something about an energetic shift that happens for them. And um, my guides kind of kept explaining to me, like, that's why you need to do a podcast, because there's some um, energetic things that happen uh, through your voice. Like part of my medicine is through my voice and through teaching in that way and communicating. And, And writing is that way too, but there's something more powerful about voice for me. So that's kind of what led me to do the podcast. And um and also in service of hoping to reach more people, reach more people with this work, um, to get some of these teachings that my teachers, my mentors, my guides, the spirit world, etc., has shared with me to share them with others. Um, and since by the time I finish season four, I will have created 82 public episodes, which is pretty wild to me, and even more private episodes in my Patreon. So it's pretty awesome to think about So first of all, you know, um, thank you for being a part of this project that's grown into three years, you know, will be three years in the fall and going, I, I, uh, plan to continue this project. Um, working in this way feels really good to me and, you know, it sounds like it's been very supportive for many of you. Um, in fact, a listener wrote to me recently to tell me how much this podcast has supported her path and learning. And I, I love to receive notes like that of support from, from listeners because, you know, like right now is just me in the forest, (laughs) having spent many, many hours putting together this episode, now recording it in my office in the forest with the microphone, with my dog nearby. Um, and me kind of like imagining that you're there on the other end, uh, listening. But um, a lot of times this endeavor is quite um, solitary, we could say. So when I receive love notes like that, it's just, I'm, I'm so grateful for them. So thank you to those of you who over the years have sent me notes about how this podcast has impacted you. And I invited this this person who wrote me, and I would like to extend that invitation to you now um, to review the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, this podcast has had thousands of listens, and um, as I checked earlier, I think I had 19 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So it's having, it, there's a lot more people listening than are reviewing, and I would be so grateful if you could. Um, take time to review the podcast. It's a really great way to participate in reciprocity, which is something I talked about earlier in the season. 
I think reciprocity is really, really important. It's part of this process of, you know, you receive and then you give back. And I think that that's a, an important energetic cycle that we need to be more mindful of and maybe valuing more in our culture. I think it facilitates a lot more cooperation and nourishment in relationships. Um, and so, you know, it takes one to two minutes on Apple podcasts or Spotify. And honestly, those one to two minutes of your time, they make a really big difference. I hear stories all the time from people that say, I found your podcast, but I don't really know how, like it just kind of popped up on my feed. And, um, and those reviews make a big difference because there's this thing called an algorithm <laughs> that contributes to that. Um, so if you love this podcast and you haven't submitted a review, I'd be so grateful if you could submit one uh, by the time you finish this episode. Um, and please consider sharing this episode with a friend, a loved one. I always love when folks also share on social media and you can tag me at Marcy Moberg. All of those are really wonderful ways. They're all free. Um, all easily accessible to folks. And then if you have resources, then I would encourage you, which I also had talked about with this person, I would encourage you to think about investing, you know, invest in by booking me for one-on-one work, invest in, you know, signing up for a class that I teach in the future. Um, those are all important ways to kind of financially support my work. Um, and I'd be so grateful for you to consider that because again, it contributes to this reciprocity cycle. So now on another quick note um, about reciprocity, you, you've probably heard me talk in the past about my Patreon, which was also an experiment to support this, pro- this podcast. Um, I've tried this in different forms twice over the last three years to try to create um, more community around the podcast and try to create a more... Uh, reciprocal dynamic. But it's been different than I was expecting. And after much reflection and discussion with some of my patrons, I right now have decided to pause the Patreon. I had really high hopes for this project. Um, I felt really called to create a sense of community. I felt called to teach in groups again. I felt called to try to create some model of reciprocity that was accessible for folks. But unfortunately, the number of patrons didn't grow at the rate that I really needed it to for it to be a sustainable project for me to continue showing up teaching and recording extra episodes. Like, um, you know, this ended up creating a lot of, uh, yeah, it took a lot of time. And, you know, when I've talked to folks in the Patreon who, you know, did support this project, which I'm very grateful to all of you that did, um, I sense that people still continue to feel most drawn to my deep dive one-on-one work and mentoring. And, you know, consistently I've been told over the years that one of my greatest gifts is that I have this ability to create a very deeply safe and loving space in that container that where folks feel really, really securely held and therefore can open up and be really vulnerable and do very deeply transformational work And that kind of deep exploration can happen to a degree in groups, but it's limited. It can't happen as deeply as it does in one-on-one containers, you know? Um, So what does this mean? Well, with lots of like sitting and reflecting and 
tuning in. <laughs> it means that for now, I'm going to pause the Patreon starting in August. And if you still, like, if you were excited about this month's content, you didn't get to sign up yet, you wanted to learn about plant spirit communication, you can, you can still join this month in July to access the July materials, which are all about plant spirit communication. Uh, if you did that, you would basically just pay for one month and that's it because then um, I'll be putting the, pod, the uh, Patreon on pause. But what it also means is that I'll be offering some new one-on-one containers for folks to move through a structured process to work with a plant spirit over a three-month period. I have received quite a few dreams this year about what that looks like. And I just was spending a lot of time, you know, in listening mode for a while. And I thought, like, my first instinct was to run that in a group. But then after talking with patrons and a couple more dreams and talking with some dear friends of mine, I've decided that I will, for now, move that into a one-on-one container rather than a group program. And that could change, you know, later in the future, but that's kind of where I am right now. I'll also be offering a new structured process over three months uh, to mentor folks one-on-one to start and or deepen their dream practice. So last year I ran a summer dream program, a summer like practice program where it was a dream circle. And um, I was planning to run that dream circle again this year at the end of the summer. But again, because of where folks' energies are, and I just think a lot of us collectively are going through a lot more tender things right now because of the pandemic. I think that there's been an accumulation of new um, challenges from this pandemic that then are bringing up and um, exponentially highlighting old uh, dynamics in our system that we haven't addressed. So I'm following the energy. I'm leaning into focusing on one-on-one. So I will be creating a container where for three months, people can, uh, develop a very strong dream practice. And that's following the model of what I ran last year in a group and forms of which I've run in groups many times. I'll also be leading a three month practice, uh, one-on-one opportunity for folks to partner with a plant spirit and an experience like what is it like to build a very intimate relationship with a plant spirit in support of our own healing our own evolution of our consciousness our own personal growth Um, I find that they are amazing resources and teachers and in that container I will be kind of stepping with you you know mentoring you stepping with you on that path and mentoring with you, uh, that whole process. And it is an incremental process that builds on each other with structured, um, practices, rituals, um, steps we could say. So if either of those opportunities sound exciting to you, then just, you know, make sure to ensure that you're on my newsletter, which is like my inner circle. And I'm planning to share some updates there as well as details on how to sign up for these three-month plant spirit and dream practice containers there. I'm still exploring what might be another opportunity for folks who want to um, 
reciprocally give back in service of the, the podcast in some way. Like I said, I've tried Patreon a couple different times. This time I experimented with like a super low tier starting at $10 a month um, so that folks could just donate. Nothing really happened with that. <laughs> Everyone only signed up for higher tiers that were um, attached to additional benefits, which was me creating additional content. So I don't know. I'm still not sure what that could be. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in listening mode about that. Um, but for now, I think a really great way can be um, reviewing the podcast, sharing it with a loved one, sharing it on social media, just kind of really spreading the word. So thanks for considering that. Thanks for listening about that. And now I feel ready to dive into this week's episode, which is all about poisonous medicine. So recently I was catching up with a really dear spiritual friend of mine that I haven't spoken to for quite some time. Our schedules just hadn't lined up and both of us were just busy. We, we both um, do work in different forms of uh, kind of healing and spiritual teaching and growth. But we've had really deep spiritual conversations uh, over the years and attended uh, retreats together on and off for the last eight years. And as I updated her about how much of my time outside of work, you know, these days has been devoted to my garden and how fulfilling that's been, she, you know, she asked me a question that many people will ask me, which is, you know, what are you growing? And I paused for a moment to take stock of our plants. And I said, you know, well, honestly, (laughs) a lot of my garden right now not, not the whole thing, but a lot of it are actually poisonous plants. That's intentional. And I went on to tell her, you know, that recent years really led me to working more and more with poisonous plants as medicines. And, and that I've been, you know, it's been extremely powerful. It's been very powerful for my own healing path. It's been rewarding. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit hard to put into words just how, how much it's impacted me. And then I paused, you know, waiting for what I assumed would be probably a perplexed face or response. <laughs> I don't know. You know, what do you, what do you say to someone when, you, when they tell you, like, yes, I'm, I'm growing poisonous and deadly plants? Um, without a greater context, people might be like, why? <laughs> but instead... It was so beautiful. She said something really interesting and I felt really seen in this way. And I feel like the two of us, part of our beautiful friendship together is we do really see each other in a deep way, which is really powerful for both of us. And she said, you know, actually Marcy, that like, that makes perfect sense to me that you would work with poisons and that they would be a part of your path. Because after all, you've had a lot of poison in your life and you've turned it into medicine. And even now, as I'm saying this, like I have tears behind my eyes because so true. I felt so seen in that moment. And those words like struck something so deep in my heart. And I feel like connected some really important dots in my, in my work and in my path. Um, You know, because sometimes I've been like struggling, like how do I talk about the fact How do I explain to people why poisonous plants are such powerful allies for me, why they're coming into my work, why, why might I be like, you know, recommending them to clients at different points? 
you know, and I just feel like, gosh, she just strung some important truth chords in my heart that were like in my internal guitar. And she was right. You know, I had come into contact with a lot of poison in my life and I turned it into medicine. It took a lot of work, (laughs) a lot of work. Um, but I did, I turned it into medicine. I continue to turn it into medicine. So of course, of course I'd be a poisonous plant person. That was like her sense. And then it was for me like, yes, of course I would be a poisonous plant person. Who else could I be? Who else could I be? Right. And partnering with these special plants as medicine in, in my personal and professional life, of course that would be my path. So what do I mean by poison? Well, Early in my life, I experienced complex trauma, complex meaning multi-layered and ongoing and chronic. And this included uh, childhood sexual abuse, relational trauma that deeply shaped my emotional attachment system and relationships. It shaped my neurobiology, my nervous system and patterning like thought patterning, behavior, etc. It also included some acute traumatic experiences, for example, like medical trauma where you have like a single incident versus ongoing incident that that keeps happening. And in my adult life, I also experienced periods of chronic ongoing and acute trauma. And this led me to a long history of multi-layered trauma and eventually a diagnosis of complex PTSD. So most of us experience trauma in some form during our lifetime. And some of us are exposed to more trauma than others. And what makes trauma unique from other challenging experiences in life that we kind of all go through, because life can be hard, is that trauma deeply impacts our spirit and it creates shockwaves, you know? Shockwaves that move through our physical, our emotional, our energetic and our spiritual bodies, and it leaves imprints. And when our trauma accumulates over time and it goes unaddressed, it becomes like poison for the system, leading to... Conditions like chronic illness, complex PTSD, chronic anxiety, addiction, and depression, to name a few. So there are also inherited poisons, which I've talked a couple times about on the podcast, like unhealed ancestral trauma, and that can look like lineages of addiction. It can look like ongoing sexual and physical abuse behavior that gets repeated. It can include uh, patterns like chronic low self-esteem. So in other words, unaddressed poisons, they get passed down. And then this was also part of my history as well. So I had like my own personal poison experiences that I experienced in my life. And then I had these lineages that had poison in them that was unaddressed. And I find that this is part of many of our histories here on earth right now, which is why I believe, you know, poisonous plants are coming into a lot of people's consciousness Because collectively, many of us have a backlog of unaddressed pain. And some of those poisonous plants include uh, psychoactive, psychedelic, sacred plant medicines, which have these plant compounds that are quote-unquote toxic that uh, create quite powerful transformational healing and spiritual experiences. And, you know, these traditional systems that may have otherwise supported the healing and evolution of our consciousness for many of us, have been broken down. This is definitely the case for me. For example, in my lineages who lost connection with wisdom paths and practitioners that would have otherwise existed 
for my ancient ancestors and their communities. You know, I think I talked about this on a recent podcast episode, but when I tuned in to starting to do work with my Celtic lineage, it was a very um, emotional homecoming connection, like maybe, you know, partway through, I don't remember what time I connect, what, which of the times I connected and had this experience, but I received this really strong message of like, oh, wow, yes, here, finally you're here. Take a seat, take a rightful seat in our lineage of medicine people. We have been waiting for so long for this medicine path to be reestablished that got broken along the way. And, you know, they've been slowly teaching me bit by bit, like, what, what is that? What is that path that got lost in my Celtic ancestry? What is that path? There was a sense that on that lineage, they were medicine keepers and they, they had this very sacred, you know, agreement with the earth that they would maintain that practice. And that's the role that we would play in our communities. And, uh, you know, for many of us who are growing up in the modern West, like that's just been broken, you know, I didn't grow up with medicine keepers in my community. I didn't grow up with, with sacred elders that could recognize I was a medicine person and cultivate that from early on. I didn't grow up with, you know, um, grandparents and elders in my family who knew how to work with, with medicines, who knew how to, to, to work with wisdom in life, how to, tra- you know, how to pass like certain kind of ancient wisdom onto me. That didn't exist. That's been broken down. And I'm not unique. That's happened to many of us. And many of us has been broken down um, as a part of, it was like chicken and egg, right? What comes first? But there's just like these long legacies of trauma that have been unaddressed. Trauma that our ancestors have experienced, trauma that our ancestors have created, been perpetrators of. And it's created this massive, uh, these huge long lines of just a lot of poison. And I think many of us are being called in this lifetime to transform that. I think that's why plant medicines are becoming so, so, um, are gaining so much momentum. I think it's why there's a lot of folks that are stepping into kind of poisonous plant work. I think it's why there are so many people that are feeling called to heal and not just heal like their own personal stuff, but to heal like larger patterns in their, their ancestry. Anyways, I could go on for that about that forever, but you know, there's this, there are these lineages of poison is what I'm trying to say that many of us carry. So it's not just our own, right? There are these legacies that are unaddressed, that are unhealed. And something I like to do is look at the etymology of a word and because it often mirrors back to me, you know, important wisdom and insight with what I'm exploring. And when I looked up the word poison, I found, quote, a deadly potion or substance, also figuratively, quote, spiritually corrupting ideas, end quote. So in other words, something that causes damage from the outside that comes into our system and or an idea that is out of alignment. And in the case of trauma, like abuse, both, both of these things fuel this kind of trauma, both an inability to have agency and choice over what's impacting our system and a harmful idea that guides the abuser's behavior, who likely have experienced poison in their own life. 
and pass this on through poisonous behavior. This is how poison gets passed on. Someone gets abused. They get impacted by poison as trauma, right? Trauma as poison. If we can talk, we're kind of talking about this metaphorically, right? And then that, that unaddressed, that can spark poisonous behavior that then gets passed on to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. It becomes this long chain event. And I think it's important to note here that as I start to talk about poisonous medicine, I do not believe that those of us who have been exposed to poison in our life or been exposed to more poison in our life invited this. I don't know. I don't believe that. I think this is something that's way more complex than that. Um, I don't 100% agree with this idea that that sometimes is presented in New Age circles that like we signed some agreement with our abusers for this to happen. I think there's a lo- I think the universe is a lot more complex than that. I think there's a a lot more factors. There's free will, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so much. There are different forces that are working energetically. Um, it's just more complex than that. So I just want to kind of name that now. And this is something important that was shown to me in one of my sacred medicine journeys with psilocybin, where the medicine showed me that, you know, that yes, there's an unfolding in my life that's perfect. And some of what happened in my early life was actually not part of the initial sacred plan. So some of uh, what happened in a couple of my medicine journeys was like, the medicine took me back to some really pivotal moments and was like, we're going to redo this. And then I like re-experienced certain moments in a very different way. And it was like this really important repair, but it wasn't just my system like relating to that experience in a different way. But it was literally like the medicine like, no, no, we're like going back and redoing this timeline because that's that's actually not how like it was um, intended to unfold. So I want to name that. What I do want to say is that we do have a choice with what we want to do with the poison that has entered our system and impacted us. And that's where the choice is. That's where agency is. I, you know, I can't do anything about what happened in the past, right? And, and pondering on that is not going to support me. What I can do is decide, what do I want to do with that now? What do I want to do with the poison that continues to live in my body that continues to shape my system every single day. What do I want to do with that? That's the choice that led me to turning towards the poisons in my life rather than running away from them and exploring how to transform them. And the most freeing choice we can make is to turn our poisons into medicine. That's where the freedom is. That's where the freedom is. And it requires a lot of courage. Holy moly. It is really hard work sometimes. So how did I transform my own poisons into medicine? Well, it's like very multi-layered for me. And some of it I've spoken about on the podcast. Uh, that's looked like working with a trauma therapist to process my trauma. It looked like partnering with a somatic therapist to move the trauma out of my body because I had like processed all the memories, but it was still stuck in my body. Um, it looked like working with psychedelic sacred plant medicines and ceremony to shift things and realign things. It looked like yoga, meditation, journaling, contemplation, rituals, uh, you know, like animistic journeying practices, a whole giant toolbox of practices that found their way to me on a very long path when I 
finally decided to turn towards rather than run away from the poisons in my past. Um, But today I want to talk about a special part of that process, which is connecting to the season's focus of the podcast on plant spirits, and that's poisonous plants. And I've shared before that I found myself on the plant path many years ago, unexpectedly, while on retreat. I was on a retreat with herbalist Asia Suler, rather, and all the folks on the retreat were herbalists except for me, and I was there for dream work and ancestors and past lives. For me, like the plants was like extra. (laughs) (laughs) little did I know Uh, all areas I was like you know already working with in my personal and professional life and at the end of our retreat um, Asia gifted each of us a flower essence she had chosen intuitively and in essence she like closed her eyes she ran her hand over like the line of bottles and then chose the one that that was calling her and in my case that was a poisonous plant it was poison ivy so I didn't think much Um, I didn't, you know, know much to think about receiving a poisonous plant essence. What's interesting is that that's really not, it's like every single time I think about this topic, I realize like, oh wait, there was more poisonous plants before that. There was more before that. There was more before that. (laughs) So even before I worked with, um, poison ivy, it's flower essence, I had already been working with, um, if you're familiar, there's a Bach flower essence, uh, remedy, that's uh, specifically for sleep, rescue remedy for sleep, and that has poisonous uh, flower essences in it. And so I'd already been working with uh, poisonous flower essences in that. Star of Bethlehem is one of those that's included in that. It's one of the the top uh, flower essence remedies that um, Dr. Bach worked with. And then here I was with poisonous ivy, poison ivy rather. And I didn't think much about it because I didn't really have a framework for the idea that there was like poisonous plants. You know, I still wasn't kind of in the mindset that I was a plant person or I hadn't connected those dots. But I trust like I like I did like I do with most things. I just kind of trust and I just kind of followed like, okay, well, there's a reason that poison ivy's decided to come to me. And I started working with Poison Ivy right away, who turned out to be a really powerful ally for me, a potent supporter in healing my boundaries. And as I learned more about poison ivy, that was like reinforced by what I was learning. And that also supported my work with the plant spirit Yara, which I spoke about in the last podcast episode. And then another poisonous plant came into my life. And at the peak of my trauma process to work with the poisons of my past with a trauma therapist, um, right as I was getting ready to come to like a big peak moment where I was going to just go like really deep into the underworld. Uh, which I didn't, you know, know that was where it was going. I mean, I, I guess I assumed that eventually was going, but it's like, <laughs> um, for me with my trauma process, I remember talking about this several years ago with a friend. It was like, I would go into my trauma process and I'd be like, oh, okay, there's the bottom. And then it'd be like, oh no, oh, there's the bottom. Oh, oh, it's even deeper. Oh, there's the bottom. Oh, oh my gosh, this underworld is going even deeper. <laughs> and for me, um, I feel like that, this dream that I had, uh, Datura walked into my life through a dream uh, around this time before I like really went really, really, really deep, way deeper than I, of where the trauma was. Like, I just didn't even know it went that, that, that deep. There was just so much there. Um, and at the time, I didn't really have a context for how to work with Datura, but the dream really stuck with me. It felt otherworldly, angelic even. And so... Eventually, I brought this dream to a teacher who was an herbalist, and 
Uh, she, cause I was like trying to find context for it. Cause it just kept sticking with me. And she told me, you know, just how poisonous Datora was and kind of like implied, I've talked about this before also, that it was like aligned with like dark forces, like bad forces. Um, well, needless to say, this scared me away from Datora for a long time. Cause I had had, you know, my own experiences with gnarly forces of the universe at different points of my spiritual path and had worked really hard to create strong boundaries. So I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to open myself to that. <laughs> but Datura kept circling back to me like over and over and over in my life through like just different ways of like somebody I'm following on Instagram and then like they have a Datura flower essence and then it just keeps showing up on my feed like over and over and over again or um gosh, I don't even remember. Like I have a plant guide that I got like in herb school. And then like at the center of the guide, like of this medicinal plant guide is like a Dottora flower, like just with different things like this, just like Dottora kept coming, 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 coming. Um, and so, you know, eventually I learned, like I started leaning into it because it became like so obvious I couldn't ignore it. And, and then as I leaned into working with Datora and I learned more about the plant spirit over time, I learned that Datora was created, was actually considered a sacred plant, which was kind of heartbreaking to think like, oh my gosh, like, you know, (laughs) I was so terrified of this plant for so long. And I thought this plant was, you know, there was like this, you know, framework that was put on it for, you know, for me from a teacher that said it was like the Datura was evil. And then, you know, later in the plant medicine journey, actually Datura came to me at the end of my journey as I was like coming off the medicine and was basically like, you know, I've been maligned. Like there have been these lies spread about me, you know, like I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it. Yeah, like she just the these there's just so many lies like spread about these special plants and you know she was kind of explaining to me like you know I'm just I'm just here to connect people to to a very deep sense of love inside of themselves which is you know can be found in the underworld that's where the medicine is you get to the bottom of the underworld you transform and as you reach that really, really, really dark, 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 deep soil of your experience, there is a really profound love that we can be held in there. And so Dottora was kind of like explaining, like that's where that's part of the, you know, the plant's medicine. And, you know, Dottora is included in brews of ayahuasca sometimes in ceremonies. It's, in, you know, Dottora is sometimes smoked by followers of Shiva in India. There's just like long history. And it was included in uh, Materia Medica and older ceremonies of Native Americans in the United States. Um, so this poisonous plant that was maligned, that was told to me that was evil, that kept showing up in my life over and over and over and over and over again, is medicinal, ceremonial, deeply healing, when understood in this aligned framework and approached with the right knowledge and can be an ally in transforming our own poisons into medicine. Because when I first intentionally connected with Datora, I had forgotten that the dream of Datora actually showed up just ahead of this like big, like I said, where I went, whoa, way deep, heading into the hardest period of my own processing. And as I tuned into Datora in this first like intentional meeting after I finally said yes, this memory of this dream arose and this memory of this time in my process. 
And I recognized that Dottore was indicating like, I've never left your side. You know how like it was really hard to do all this trauma process. And you know how you went to like the bottom of the underground in the underworld. But you made it through. Some part of you made it through. Some part of you lovingly kept tending yourself through this whole thing. I was there behind that. Even though I kept turning away from the fear of Datora, it was a sense that Datora's consciousness had quietly been working through my healing process the entire time for years, serving as like this catalyst for taking me to the depths of my own underworld to see and know and feel like what I couldn't for so long. So when people ask me like, well, what do plant spirits have to do practically with your life? Some of it's quite mysterious, and it's one of these things where you look back and you realize, wow, that Datura dream showed up in my life, and my whole life changed from that point forward for the better. That's not insignificant. (laughs) My freedom, my liberation came after that dream over many years of trudging through the, you know, the underworld. And in my poisonous plant studies with Catherine Soli, you know, she taught us that Datora is this like great support for deep dives into the underworld. And she connected it to the Persephone's myth. And this felt like so much affirmation of what Datora had shown me in our connections and what I had personally lived for so many years um, after my first dream with Datora, you know, living like my own Persephone's myth at the bottom of my underworld and like the deepest, hardest parts of my psyche where the poisons of the poisons of the poisons of the poisons lived in my cells and asked to be transformed. And I alchemized them into medicine, wisdom, with support of allies like Datora. So as I worked with transforming the poison in my life into medicine, more poisonous plants came to support my path. And, you know, they have become my most beloved allies. And through working with them, I feel like they have gifted me, they continue to gift me really, really powerful wisdom, skills, capacity to help others transform the poison in their lives into medicine. You know, I've heard several of my teachers talk about poisonous plants as, you know, poison just equals potency. It just equals power. And I think in the same way, the poison that's in our system from these really difficult experiences, there is power in them. There is potency in them. If we lean towards them, we work with them in a skilled way. Often we need to do that with support, um, and when we do that, we unlock our power. Like we, we unlock certain amounts of our certain, uh, aspects of our own personal potency, our own personal power in a healthy way, um, that becomes our own medicine. So this is part of my path as a medicine carrier, working with the paths of poisons to really empower others to find their own medicine, their inner wisdom. And, you know, we have this like really strange relationship with poison in the West, which I think also kind of subconsciously influenced uh, some of my, also my, oh, I don't know what to do with this when Datora showed up, you know, almost regularly on, on Facebook, I belong to this um, group for the area where I live where, and, and you'll find like from time to time, people ask how to get rid of like these horrible poisonous toxic plants that are growing on our land 
uh, someone was recently asking about like, how do I get rid of this? Like poke weed. Um, and they're kind of like for feeling, feel, fearing them and vilifying them. And people like, we're talking about, you know, Oh, I want to like eradicating them through poisonous chemicals and oh these horrible plants. And it's like, Oh my gosh, no. First of all, I'm not suggesting that we have like a whole bunch of poisonous plants on our land and just like leave them. Um, if we honestly are concerned about our children or animal family members, like eating them, like we have to think about safety. That's understandable. We, you know, a very wise neighbor was talking to me recently about how, you know, we have to care for our ecosystem with our personal ecosystem within the wider ecosystem. Like we're allowed to care for our own personal ecosystem. So if there's like a plant that's growing in an air, in a area of your, your land, your home that could create harm to people and you need to remove it, then there's ways to do that skillfully. And there's ways to do that without having to vilify the plant. There's, you know, I, I have a poke weed that grows by our front porch. We actually intentionally let that plant grow really big because it's the second year that they've shown up. And this year it's like a tree. <laughs> it's so big. I have never seen a poke weed this big in my entire life. I mean, like a tree, it's gotta be at least eight, nine feet tall. It's so large. Um, and we've trusted like, okay, there's a reason this plant is here. Also, we both find it like very beautiful. Thankfully, our animals don't eat, um, plants. So we can, we can keep that there. We don't have uh, small children that will go out and try to eat the leaves. So that's great. So we can leave that plant, but I did have to do some trimmings of the plant so that I could actually move, uh, we could actually have like access to the the front porch because they were starting to kind of the branches were starting to like woo take over the whole stairway. So, you know, there's a way to ritualistically like connect to the plan, honor them, explain why you need to, you know, do these trimmings. Like there's there are ways to come respectfully. And I feel like this whole um, you know, like <laughs> situation of what I saw in this, this fake Facebook group that I see like over and over again is just a mirror, you know, for our collective nature of, um, avoiding poison rather than exploring their wisdom. It's just a mirror of how we avoid and are afraid of our own poisons rather than going like, okay, poison exists in life. Poison happens in life. What do we do about that? You know? And historically, poisonous plants like datura, belladonna, henbane, foxglove, they were actually originally included in uh, herbal and medicinal practices. And, you know, actually, in fact, ancient burials in Europe um, included, they've discovered um, that many of the practitioners, like they've found these certain burials in Europe that they uh, understand based on like tools and uh, clothing and different symbols and objects that they are actually medicine practitioners. They are like the, the medicine people, old medicine people of Europe. And with them are often these like leather pouches that have seeds or plant matter in them. And many of the times what's in, what are those seeds and the plant matter are poisonous. For example, things like henbane is, henbane is, uh, is often found in, in older tombs of medicine people of my Scandinavian ancestors. So some of these shifts in Western herbal pharmacology are understandable in the sense that, you know, dosing with poisons is tricky. It's very difficult. It's very tricky. It can be sometimes unpredictable, especially if you're dealing with particular phytochemicals like alkaloids. Um, 
And there also was a folk wisdom that used to know how to do that, used to know how to dose. And that sadly has been lost. And there's a long history about why that's lost, including, you know, the breakdown of indigenous animus practices in Europe. And that's often coinciding with events, for example, like the Roman conquest, the move of Christianity in breaking down kind of indigenous practices, etc. Vilifying different practices. Um, so, but this has also included, you know, in a modern day, the classification of psychedelic sacred medicines like psilocybin as illegal and making them equal to highly addictive substances like heroin and uh, legislators, you know, and the government just, you know, determining through the way that they classify that, that it has no medicinal use, which of course research is showing completely the opposite, that, that some of these substances are extremely, um, can have extremely powerful uh, opportunities for supporting mental health, healing, addressing our mental health crisis in in the modern West, uh, lots of medicinal uses, even some uses against addiction and are not um, in research and studies shown to be addictive at all. Um, by the way, if you're curious, I've mentioned, I think, a book before, but it's also been transformed into a Netflix series, and that's How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. If you haven't checked out the book and or the Netflix series, highly recommend it. It goes more into that research. But then we have this like other strange experience with poison where we have like alcohol and, you know, it's a substance that's highly addictive. It leads to it leads to a lot of deaths each year. Um, and yet like it's just normalized. <laughs> so this just, yeah, we have this very, very strange relationship to poison in our collective and we have a strange aversion to uh, a strange relationship of, of aversion to our collective shadows, our collective poisons, normalizing, you know, for example, certain behaviors in adults as mature. When in fact, from a psychological standpoint, many of the adults in the United States where I live are stunted developmentally in early adolescence or even younger. And it's normalized as that's like adult behavior, but it's not. <laughs> and it's all because of unaddressed trauma. These, you know, were stunted that's something that I had to learn about myself. Some of my behavior was stunted behavior, stunted in early adolescence, stunted in, in younger selves, or, or, or I would regress to those younger parts of myself. And that's because of unaddressed trauma. Those parts of me were literally frozen in time because of these poisons. And part of my work was to intentionally go back with support of the practitioners and mentors I worked with to free those parts of myself from the past, from those poisons, so that I could be the fully mature adult that I am. And that's where wisdom comes. So, you know, all we have to do is just look at our political stage for examples of this behavior, right? So what can we do? Well, collectively is a whole nother animal. I'm gonna focus on the personal because that's really, that's my zone of genius and, and zone of where like my work is, is working with people on the personal level. And I believe that we can start personally by acknowledging how poison has impacted our lives and that maybe we are carrying poison. And in a sense, these poisons continue to live in our body. Second, I think after acknowledging that we have, we are carrying poisons within us, we can make the brave decision to explore how to transform these poisons into medicine and to know that we can do that. We might need some support. We often need support. We often need practitioners 
uh, stepping with us, guiding us, mentoring us through that process who have skills and abilities and a way of seeing that we don't because we're, you know, because of our, our, um, you know, we don't have the same training as them, et cetera. Following through on the decision to transform our poisons will be, it will require great courage. It will require grit. It will require determination. It won't always be easy. Trust me, my own trauma process was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And turning towards my poisons has liberated me from them over time and continues to be an ongoing process. Our liberation lives in the medicine of our poisons. And our poisons start to become medicine when we stop running from them. There is wisdom in our wounding. I say this over and over again. I think we can't remember this enough. And we turn, you know, that happens when we turn towards transforming our wounding. We can experience more freedom in our being. We can experience more wholeness in our embodiment. We can experience more alignment in our life. I want to make an important note about working with poisons as medicine in case it's not clear in this moment. And that is that when I talk about working with poisonous plants, I'm not suggesting you ingest them. Don't do that. (laughs) That's not safe. Um, In fact, you know, and don't, don't just like ingest them willy nilly on your own. There's a reason that they haven't been included a lot in the pharmacology, which I kind of talked about. Um, It's important that if that were to happen at any point that, that that's done with a very, very skilled and trained practitioner. In fact, much of how I personally work with poisonous plants is actually not ingesting them, but rather working with the plant's consciousness through different practices, working with a flower essence, uh, growing them now. And I developed a, ro- a robust practice for safely doing this over time. I'm a very sensitive person. So um, flower essences have been a really powerful medicine for me. If you are an HSP or an empath, uh, flower essences, vibrational essence medicine can be really powerful for, for transforming things. And this is part of where the plants instructed me to offer to people, you know, the one-on-one three-month container that I mentioned at the top of the episode, partnering with a very specific plant spirit to build a very deep relationship uh, with that consciousness and draw from that relationship as a resource in one's healing process. The other thing I want to say is that Paracelsus taught that poison is in the dose. And this means that both the pace at which we work with poisons in our life matters and that we need to bring intentionality to that. It's why I advocate for people to ensure that they work with practitioners and draw from approaches that are trauma-informed and value something called titration, which is an incremental process, incremental transformation. So for example, my personal professional work is, in, is informed by teachings and frameworks like somatic experiencing, Hakomi, parts work, internal family systems. These are all approaches that are trauma-informed and incremental. They support that kind of idea of titration. And I really kind of feel like they embody the idea of the poison is in the dose, like working at a rate that's going to support us rather than kind of take us out. And working incrementally ensures that our transformation of the poisons that have impacted our life can become wisdom because we stay within our, what we call our window of tolerance. Another way of saying this is we work with our poisons at a pace that supports our innate resourcefulness, our wisdom, and our healing, uh, our self-healing capacity that's innate in us. 
And I think that's important to say because anytime we're stepping into a healing process, I think it's important to set expectations in a reasonable way. I think um, it's gotten better, but over the years, there are times where people come to me and they're like, I want to do this big transformation. I want it to be done in three to six months. I can't promise you that, right? I don't know how deep your underworld goes. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen when I pull that string. I have some inclinations, but I don't know at all. And we need to move at a pace that's actually going to be like supportive, not hindering life-giving, not like life-removing of your system. We need to move in a way that we're moving very skillfully, right? We're dealing with poison. So we need to move skillfully so that we're slowly, gently, lovingly, like transforming that poison, moving that poison out of the body, not accidentally like causing that poison to leak throughout your system, right? So when people kind of want to create like a, a healing process, that's like a you know, climbing at the, the, the highest mountain and, you know, metaphorically in the world, like in two days, like climb up, climb down really fast. Like, I think it's really important that instead we shift, we learn how to shift and normalize a framework that understands uh, healing, transforming poison into medicine in a way that's incremental, that's loving, that's gentle for the system that's kind to the different parts of us that have been impacted by that poison. So what happens when we don't address the poison? Well, I would say over time, this can lead to an accumulation of emotional, mental, and spiritual toxins that create difficulties in our life. And given that life will inherently continue to bring challenges throughout our lifetimes, um, it's important, I think, to clear that poison away so that our you know wisdom continues to lead our life over our wounding and it, it doesn't become like a more accumulation of poison, a more accumulation of difficulty. If we turn towards this poison and we work with it bit by bit, we can receive the medicine hidden deep inside these experiences. That's where our wisdom from is born from our wounding. I recently heard a Sapara Ecuadorian elder, Minari, explain that wisdom in his culture is from the past. And it's a really beautiful idea. It's this idea that wisdom is something ancient and it's something ancient that we actually bring into the present. So when we touch into this idea of medicine, which is this idea of wisdom, when we, when we touch into wisdom, we are actually touching into the past and bringing it into the present. It's something that's always been there. It's just that we didn't necessarily connect to it. And I like to think of this in the following way. When insert you know, insight rather emerges for us from our wound. It reestablishes and reconnects us to the lost ancient wisdom of our ancestors and, uh, and the life that our wounding kind of disconnected us from, right? So when we get wounded, when we experience poison, it disconnects us from wisdom. It disconnects us from that lifeline of those ancestors. It disconnects us from our resources, inner and outer, and so when we bring this medicine forward from the past into the present, we create that reconnection. And bringing this knowledge from the past and the present and from our ancient ancestors into the embodiment of our present day life, that allows us to be the current living ancestor, to be the well ancestor that's living in our lineage. Well, there is like so much more I could say about this, but for now, this is kind of where I want to call things complete for the stage this episode. 
I hope that this episode inspires you to think about poisons in your own life differently and maybe the possibilities that abound for you to create medicine in your own life from difficult experiences, to trust that that's possible, and uh, to recognize that it comes, it starts from making an important choice of deciding I'm going to, I'm going to transform this poison into medicine. And I also hope that the next time a poisonous or toxic plant shows up on your land, wherever you live, that you hold the possibility this plant can be a wisdom keeper, that this plant might be trying to teach you, that this plant might have insight for you. I will say more about poisonous plants in episodes in the future that you can be sure of that. Um, But for now, I just want to thank you for tuning into the podcast. And if you loved this episode, please share it with one friend. Share it on social media. Tag me at Marcy Moberg. Uh, Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It takes one to two minutes to do so. And remember, if you have a question that you'd love to submit for my season four finale Q&A, uh, head on over to marcymoberg.com forward slash podcast and scroll to the bottom to submit. So for now, thank you for tuning in. I'll leave you with my personal mantra. Being you takes courage. Much love. Thank you so much for tuning in today with me. I hope you loved the episode and it enriches you just as much as it has for me to create it. If you enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Patreon. You can join starting at $10 a month. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash Marcy Moberg. Another way to support the podcast is through reviews. I would be so grateful for you to hop on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share your rating and review, ideally five stars. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And you can always learn more about me and my work at marcymoberg.com. Until next time, remember that being you takes courage. Lots of love.